Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hello, everybody. Hello. We are here. This is... This is the Beauty RKO, your fashion history comedy podcast. I am your host, Professor Noir, and we are broadcasting live on Full Service Radio from the Line Hotel here in Washington, D.C. And I have a very special guest with me, a fabulous, a wonderful artist who has been a good friend of mine. We've created many, many works together, and you've created so much more without me. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Jason Edward Tucker. Hello, 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 Christine. <laughs> Tell the people about your work, if you don't mind, because I consider you a multimedia artist because we have, I have seen you do work in literally different various things from sculpture, photography. I think you've done a little bit of film or dabbling yeah, in yeah. film. Um, tell them. Sure. Um, I mainly do black and white photography. I studied alternative process photography and film at the Corcoran in D.C., Uh, A lot of my work comes back and is Mm -hmm. image-based, but generally is sculpture, mixed media. It kind of goes all over the board, but Mm -hmm. it has a kind of a queer image-centric focus. Okay. yeah. Speak into the mic. Let them. Am hear I your, not? Yes. My beautiful, beautiful voice. Yeah. Today. Get, yeah, yeah. Get really into the mic. Let them hear your voice of God. Um, yeah. There you go. Um, but I really, I my main interest is really based in male queer identity. So, mm-hmm. however that comes out, um, various forms of either black and white photography, alternative process, sculpture, mixed media, collage. Uh, but lately, I've been photographing drag queens for a very long time. And yes. That's kind of. I don't know, my main focus at the moment for a lot of my work. Yes, yes it is. You have photographed me. Um, you too pho- many times, too honestly. Ma- <laughs> no, not, there's never too many times to photograph this beautiful melanin skin. <laughs> Valid. We also share, my real first name is Jason. Um, don't put it out there for the media to find me. I'm just joking. I've already put it out there clearly. Um, and your name is Jason, so that's one of the, I think that's one thing you that we have to tell them that. We, we've bonded on, I mean, I don't mind. The jig is up. <laughs> My name is not actually Professor Pussy. Like, that's just weird. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I might have a name change. Who knows? But that's really going to lock me into a box. A certain kind of box. <laughs> I keep saying box and talking about pussy. I mean, I this guess is if getting you're weird. <laughs> um, so. This is a fashion history comedy podcast for people who are just tuning in or have not who have not heard the podcast before. Um, I have always loved history. It's been a very big thing for me. Um, as you know, Jason, um, I'm a huge history nerd. And sometimes I'm pretty sure you want me to just shut the F up when it comes to history. <laughs> like that's We just want to get to the across the street pussy. We don't need a history lesson on what streets are like. Or Victorian syphilis. Or, or... Victorian syphilis when it comes to streets and street <laughs> construction, which I would totally tie together. You don't even know. Um, um, but um, this is this podcast is a way for me to teach people um, about the things that have happened in the past to know where we're going, to know where we're going in the future, which is very important for me. So this is a fashion history comedy podcast, and when it comes to the comedy, we love to laugh and we love to throw shade at really, ri- really ridiculous people that have graced <laughs> our history's <laughs> books. So um, we might talk about some shady people today. Who knows? But we're definitely going to laugh a lot. You already started laughing. I heard that little chuckle. Um, so this next section is when we open up the show, Jason, I'd like to call it the closet clean. Um, for a long time, my closet has been on the floor and has not been, the clothes have never been in the actual closet. They've always spilled out. 
um, as if parting the Red Seas um, with Moses. <laughs> the anti-Marie Kondo. I know, like, seri- I'm so anti-Marie Kondo. <laughs> like, I need to do my own, like, thing about, on maximalism and, like, living with maximalism. I think that should be... And, like, being a collector. Because, like, usually if you're poor, you're a hoarder. And if you had a certain tax bracket, you're a collector. But it's really just hoarding. True. True. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I've always needed to clean out my closet. And finally, funny enough, people, ding, ding, ding. It was Pride this past weekend in D.C. It was fucking amazing. And I finally cleaned my closet. Congratulations. So, I know it's a big deal. Um, but... With Closet Clean, it's a time for us to just unpack some emotions that we have before we really open up the class and get into the information. Work. Let's unpack Align. this. Let's unpack this. So Pride was last week in D.C. It was super, really crazy and awesome. Um, there was a huge push on the fact that people were making Pride, instead of being very, like, cis male-centric or, you know, one of the other things, because I would say more lesbian-centric, which but that never happens for Pride. Um, it was more, people were pushing for it to be more queer, which I found really interesting. And you used to live in D.C., but now you're in California, but coming back, but you're, and you're often back in D.C. to visit and I'm be back with here friends. like every four months. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're also working and things like that. But did you feel this sense of queerness with Pride this year for D.C.? I'm going to be honest, I snuck out of the city for Pride. I was not oh. here, but in terms of the marketing and branding, yeah, it felt more <laughs> queer and somewhat inclusive. Uh-huh. Still sponsored. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. In Aspects, DC has changed quite a bit in that sense, in terms of a queer being marketed to and an actual community arising. Yeah. Uh, when I left DC, there wasn't any sense of looks being turned, parties being thrown. Exactly, and yeah. And coming back has been really refreshing in that sense. Yeah. Or like when it was happening, it was still underground. Yeah, it oh, like, totally. It wasn't I mean, so it was widespread. happening, but yeah. it just wasn't largely happening on yeah. kind of a visual scale. And so it's funny because we were just, we should just mention it still being sponsored, quote unquote, by... Excuse me, I had to burp. I had some, I had some, uh, some muffin earlier. Unpack it. I had to unpack that muffin. Um, <laughs> but it's funny that you're saying like being sponsored because I think to myself about, you know, we had the anti-pride um, movement kind of in D.C. Right. With, where people were really pushing back against the huge corporate sponsors that are trying to jump onto pride. And the reason is, and I was, because I was saying, I was just like, well, why are we so mad about this? Because it's now money going into the mission and someone really said something very profound to me that I just wasn't thinking about. And they're like, but these people are doing this for one week or one month out of the year, right. yet they're doing so many other atrocities against LGBTQ people right. and against marginalized people every other day of the year. And it's very true. And so it's funny to me that I get a little bit afraid because I want the idea and the movement and the identity of queerness to be more acceptable on a wider scale. However, it does make me a little bit fearful is this something that's just going to be tokenized again? I mean, that's that's pride when you look at it. Yeah. Look at all these places selling rainbow t-shirts, rainbow flip-flops. Pride was a riot. And yet, the rest of the year, do they have a rainbow flag in their shop? Yeah. And you know what's really funny? You just said that about selling like rainbow t-shirts, rainbow things. You know, I... I am involved in Pride very heavily as a performer. I performed all weekend, like two shows a day. It was absolutely fabulous. Everyone was jumping out of their seats, not just for me, but just in general for the event. Not just for me, for my the event. My favorite part about Pride was me. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part about Pride was me. Actually, no, but what, I was say, what I'm going to say is that, and this is some, maybe hard for some people to grapple with, 
But for me, Pride is a time to really celebrate, again, who I am, who, I, who I've developed as an LGBTQ person, um, my presence in the community and what that means, even if I wasn't a performer, what that means for me and for the community. And when I think about the big holidays, other holidays, where you dress up in your nicest, finest clothes to celebrate that holiday, that doesn't necessarily happen on Pride, for, in my opinion. It's people definitely go balls to the walls, which is great, and I really want them to be creative, um, but you don't look like you're proud after, you know, after, like, a During cup, or after. after. It's just, like, <laughs> the rainbows, the cut-up t-shirts that look like, you know, you know, it's just, like, it's, like, I want people to think about that next year for Pride, if anything. It's, like, it doesn't have to be like that every day. I'm not saying, like, wear a ball gown and the, and the tux for Pride, but think about, am I fully representing the pride that I have visually and aesthetically in what I'm doing. Totally. You know, I just like, cause I'm just like, I love a parade. I love a parade, but I'm just like, but I'll be damned if I see one more damn rainbow sock and a cutoff tee and these shorts that I don't know where they bought these shorts from. I think they're time traveling. I'm just saying, if you're time traveling, just use that money to buy some current shorts. Go on ASOS. They have great, <laughs> they have great prices. The delivery is really correct. You can get it within two days, even if you're paying standard shipping. This is not a sponsored ad. This is not a sponsored ad for <laughs> ASOS. Although ASOS, if you're listening, you know, let's get together, do a collabo. I buy a lot of your things. You have wonderful thigh high boots that actually fit my small legs and my size 10 foot. So thank you, ASOS. <laughs> On the other hand, I do like the entire month of June seeing rainbows everywhere. That I is do. something that I do. I get kind of infatuated with. But I do agree with you on the aesthetic of the total dressing up for Pride. Is like, Ooh, we could do better. We could do we just could a, do a little, little bit better. better. It's like, I don't need to dress like a kid that got into a Crayola box and had like a microwave at my disposal. Don't come from my childhood. <laughs> Uh, well, it's also interesting. I mean, you grew up in a pretty queer household. True. Do you mind speaking about that? I hope that doesn't... Sure. Okay. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I grew up with two lesbian moms. I was an in vitro fertilization kid, sperm donor kid. Um, so my almost my entire existing family is queer. Yeah. I don't have much blood family that I'm in regular relationships <laughs> with. I mean, here and there, more acquaintances. Uh, but a lot of my family is more kind of adopted. Yeah. Less blood and more feeling yeah um chosen and i'm pretty lucky to have that that's i mean that's what i and that's funny because like i knew you for a couple of years before i found that out and you just randomly dropped it and i didn't realize and i was just like that's so awesome and it really explains the strength you have as a gay man thank you um and as a queer gay man um and how able you're able to articulate that just by not even saying anything that's like that's yeah you were you, you are blessed you Thank are you. blessed it is i am yeah I'm and very, it's very funny i also that. think about too like those arguments back in the day where like people were so debating against like gay people adopting children and having families i'm just like i don't know where the fuck you're getting that from Why? like yeah you don't want these kids to have a two-person household that of stable household you know what i mean it's not about necessarily just having a man and a woman it's about having two different sides of the brain right exactly you know, exactly. so you know how to decipher information, so you know how to work with people, develop relationships with people. You know what I mean? That's really what it's about. It's funny because there's a book called The Dynamic Duo, and they talk about the yin and the yang in gay relationships and mm-hmm. how we need to find our yin to our yang. And it's not necessarily about alpha, or not necessarily about feminine and masculine, but about alpha and beta. Right. And I think in any solid relationship, no matter what the perceived gender is or what they identify as, the, a good relationship tends to have an alpha and a beta. 
You know what I mean? Whether they look it visually or not, you have those two sides of the brain working together. So why not have children living in these homes? Right. You know what I mean? You know, damn it, 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Pride was crazy. We had this huge Pride Echo stage I performed at. It was all trade family. Freaking Ann Riggins and Ed Bailey turned it out. You know what I mean? Like, they really did it. And Miss Vanjie performed from RuPaul's Drag Race. I opened for her, which I was very honored to do. And it was funny because, like, this is, like, another time where we've come in contact with Drag Race queens. And... Not saying that they're not talented because she did an excellent no, performance. Yeah. She did an excellent performance. She was beautiful. Her body is sickening. Um, but there's something very lackluster about it. And I feel like when it comes to that height of fame, we're missing the family aspect again. And that's Definitely. kind of sad. You know what I mean? Like drag, we always talk about like family, family, family. And then you get to a certain level, you lose that family aspect. You know what I mean? I personally think about it to myself, like I am getting success and I'm very happy for it, but I cannot imagine losing that sense of family or losing that sense of like creating family wherever I go, even if it's brand new people that I've never met. We're in a gay club, we're doing this together, like we're in it together, you know what I mean? So I was kind of like, nah, like you know, I was like, I, was I think like, that comes with time. Yeah, too. I think it comes with time. I mean, also too, like she could have been tired as well. I'm not gonna, despite, I'm not gonna like. I mean, she's on tour what for most of oh, the year. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm not even gonna come for her and say like, cause I could have just caught her at a very human moment where she's just like, girl, this show was great. <laughs> Give me a drink. Take these shoes Vangie. off. You know. So, but like, she definitely gave a great show. She definitely gave a great show. Um, coming up this weekend is the Hirshhorn Ball. And it's going to be really amazing. <laughs> I'm super excited. I've mentioned this before. but If you haven't gotten your tickets, if, get one now. If you haven't got your tickets, get one now. Um, yes, it's $200, but it is a museum fundraiser. So that people understand that. When I say museum fundraiser, we're not talking about a small, you know, town museum. It is a Smithsonian Museum fundraiser. You are funding the programs for the next year when you're investing your money into this. So it's not just like going to nothing like this is for a reason and even better by saying that you know because i got to, i'm getting to host this it's a really big deal for me i don't want to say that i represent the queer community but i am now acting as a representative this time for this weekend for the queer community in dc that we really get to put that art out there as the new modern art because it is you know, Jackson Pollock, Picasso's, that was modern art at one point. They're old now. It's not. They're great, but they're, it's not modern art. And so this is the modern art. And, and um, you know, I'm pushing that agenda, especially for the fundraiser for this gala, that queerness and the messages behind it and the images behind it, what's really pushing art nowadays. And so if people want to be part of that as well, like definitely get a ticket um, go on the Hirshhorn website, contact the Hirshhorn. If you want to be a part of that, definitely do that. I'm super excited. I'm wearing some beautiful pieces by one of my dear <laughs> friends. Uh, one of my dear friends, his name is name Evan, Evan Ibrahim. He yes. is definitely making a very quick name on the underground scene in D.C. with like the gay community, but also like in a lot of other communities. He has beautiful taste. And uh, I tried on my finale dress like for the end of the party. Uh, it is The fabric is just... It's liquid. <laughs> it looks like oil. Like, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's this black satin, and it just, like, yes. skims the body perfectly. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, my God. And it's, like, such a simple silhouette, but it's just perfect on the body. How do you feel about pulling the ball scene into a larger area, like the Hirshhorn Gala or the Hirshhorn Ball itself? 
I'm really excited. I will say that I've always been very confident in the fact that I'm able to articulate new ideas to people. And this is a moment where I can do that with my friends. And I also, the, one of the, the house that it's actually representing um, is the House Sonique. They're a very new house. They're a very multicultural house. And I would say they definitely are representing the new wave of ball of the ball scene and doing a lot of really great work. And they are very articulate in explaining and bringing new people into the ball scene. That's like part of what they do. So I'm super, super excited because we're not dumbing down or watering down what we are for a new crowd. We're actually saying, get into this scene work. Good. So it's going to be fucking fabulous. It's going to be fabulous. Well, let's take a little break. I'm sweating a little bit. It's hot <laughs> up in this box. I don't see any sexy people yet, but I don't know where y'all at. Y'all need to start walking by this door. I always like seeing sexy people walk by because of the fishbowl. <laughs> it's really hot. You know, you know. <laughs> let's take a little breaky-poo, and then we're going to come back class, and we're actually going to get into this work. We're going to look under the skirt and talk about a brief history of men in dresses and skirts. Ooh. We'll be right back. way too much fun doing this (laughs) there always comes to a point where i'm doing this show like midway through i forget that i'm doing the show (laughs) like one point me and my friend allison were laughing so hard i just almost got up and walked out it came back it's too much so everyone we are back this is the this is the beauty rko your fashion history comedy podcast i'm your host professor noir we are broadcasting live on full service radio from the line hotel in washington dc and we are with my very special guest jason edward tucker Ooh. we're back we're back i know so class grab your pens because i don't do that ipad bullshit here even though i have my own ipad but i'm <laughs> the teacher i'm the teacher so i can do that i want you guys to practice your penmanship <laughs> Because kids today, they don't know how to write nothing. They're going to just be writing X's soon. (laughs) Anyway, so an interesting part of history that when we're talking about queer, we're seeing the rise of gender nonconforming dress. However, there has been a very long history of this throughout time where we have seen this in different incarnations. One of the topics, one of the subjects I'm going to talk about is are men in dresses and skirts. Very specifically, men in dresses and skirts. So I'm just going to read a little brief thing here. Skirts on men have, of course, been used as a quick method of signaling gender-conforming behavior for decades. From the glorious gown-wearing David Bowie to Kurt Cobain and Nirvana sulking around in floral dresses. However, the movement to make skirts socially acceptable acceptable wear for men something ordinary instead, instead, of, sign, or instead of a sign of specific thought or intent is garnering strength on the world's catwalks and among certain millennial men. What's often missing in discussions of men's of skirts on men is historical con- context. So yeah, I know. Like you like how I found that like passage. Oh, yeah. I just now read it and I was like, <laughs> I should read this first. <laughs> really opens up my topic. So. 
I am personally a, I consider myself a femme presenting gay man, um, in which I'm very beta in my ideologies and how I present myself and how I process information. Um, however, even in how I dress, it also signifies not necessarily beta, but more alpha. However, I often, 99.9% of the time, are wearing women's clothes. And I particularly wear a lot of dresses and skirts. And so for me, it's funny because when I started wearing more women's clothes, I was doing it in college where like the whole hipster style became very popular. And if people remember the, the whole hipster movement <laughs> of, you know, the of like 2000, what, 2003 to like 2009. Yeah, mid to late. Yeah, like 2009, um, that's really extending it. There was a lot of gender nonconforming dress, but it was looking very androgynous on a very big level. So you had like men and women wearing the same jeans, like the same girl skinny jeans, wearing like plaid shirts, um, you know, puffer vests, because I was living in New York, so it was always fucking cold. <laughs> um, and then also wearing like the same kind of boots. However, it, for me, it was when I started looking at, I watched a YSL show by Tom Fort where he had the Johnny boot, and it was a high-heeled boot for men. And I was like, shit, shit just got real. It's like seeing like your first hot dude when you're like a young gay boy, and you're like, okay, well, I'm into daddies for the rest of my life now. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, I'm into heels for the rest of my life. And then my friend Cassie, that same year, we were like in our costume department trying to take costumes when we weren't supposed to. Um, Sarah Lawrence, you didn't hear me say that. Um, and, and Cassie was just like, Jason, you have to wear these heels. And it was like a high heel, not a super high heeled boot, but like a, like a block heel, like men's riding boot. And she's like, you have to wear these boots. I was like, I can't wear heels. She was like, um, uh. heels are the new thing for men. <laughs> so that started me into dressing more androgynous oh, and looking, yes, and looking more at androgynous clothes. I also wanted to be taller because everyone in New York was like super tall for some reason at the time. So it was the only way I could like be taller without like getting a knee extension because that's just weird <laughs> and painful. <laughs> just put you on some stilts. Still, you know, just like, <laughs> hey guys. Um, and so I started, that like really opened me up to dressing more androgynous. And it wasn't until, I want to say I was like 27, that I started wearing, no, 28, that I started wearing dresses. It was a long time ago. It was a, it was a long time ago, at least 40 years ago. <laughs> um, I, was, I, was, I started wearing dresses because I was working at Buffalo Exchange. And I had this access to all these clothes and so much different experimentation with style. And... I saw, oh, that's how it happened. I saw a Chanel show. It's always the fashion shows. I need to start, I know, you need to like watch my content usage because I just keep watching Chanel shows. <laughs> and so I saw a Chanel show that was a bad influence on me and it was the show about India and they were doing, it was a resort show in India. I never saw that. It's a beautiful show, one of the best sets I've ever seen. They had this train going down the table and around the table and this like gorgeous Maharaja, almost like secret garden like era, kind of like beautiful, okay space um they did have dreadlocks on some of the models but that's a whole other situation we'll talk about that in another episode but what they did have which really like pointed out to me this kind of like um wrapped almost mahatma gandhi skirt around this guy with like a full suit and i was like that's really interesting this about to get real fucked up people so then i started looking at pictures of mahatma gandhi and i was like i could totally like recreate this like loincloth skirt situation with like this tri-blend cardigan sweater I have from American Apparel. So I start wearing that. 
And I realized that no one was saying anything shitty to me or crazy or homophobic. I was like, okay, well, I can get away with this. I can start doing real skirts. So then I finally bought a tube skirt within like two weeks of that. And it was like down to the knees. And I was like, well, if I can get away with this and people are loving it, then let's go further. Step by step. Step by step. And so what I'm saying is it's really interesting that skirts for men and on men nowadays are seen as something that is either gender nonconforming or too effeminate. One or the other. Gender nonconforming is, is more positive. The effeminate tends to be not positive. Used tends in to be, a negative connotation. Used in a negative connotation, yeah, even definitely. though femininity is, is very the powerful. Femininity is the track. And that is why I'm saying that, and, and that's why I say this, because I learned how to use femininity in a very powerful way. Almost in a very masculine way, quote unquote. And so it brings me back to the ancient world where men and women were wearing very similar types of clothes, um, skirts, everything from like very loose fitting skirts to tunics, that kind of standard clothing, the middling clothing. For people who are in the wealthier side, emperors, you were wearing very long diaphanous fabrics. The more fabric yes, you had, diaphanous. I love the word diaphanous. It's a good one. Diaphanous. <laughs> <laughs> the more fabric you had showed how much money you had, which is one of the reasons why. Anytime I get something long and you hear me say this, it doesn't come to, it doesn't brush the floor. I don't want it. It makes it look poor. It makes it look like I can't afford fabric. So <laughs> I'm very adamant about that. But <clears throat> because of that, pardon my cough, because of that, it allowed it, it gave you this this idea of if you were a man in power, you had all this fabric, all of this behind you, chilling behind you. You lived a life where you almost didn't touch the floor. You were godlike. Well, you also had the ability to represent yourself in any way, shape, or form. Exactly. it didn't matter. It didn't matter. But it did, actually. Because having something that long also showed your virility. You needed the space to keep your manhood open. Okay. So it's nowadays we think like that, where it is this whole idea of it doesn't matter now. We're almost, we're trying to. Well, I would say, well, there's still theorists. And let me read this, actually. I'm glad we're having this tete-a-tete right now. Because there are some theorists that do believe and still write how this was happening. And so, um, I'll go into the 14th century. Because this is, they're talking about, oh, wait, let me go back to this. So, he says, two factors theorists note. Determine the use of pants by either gender. Cold and the necessity of horse riding. And the evolutionary biologist, Peter um, Turchin, explained... Um, that the development of pants um, was based on technology pretty closely to the introduction of animals that required riding. And so, in a way, if you were a man that was wearing like a long tunic or a long robe or a long dress, you were a man that was so in power, you don't have to go to war, you don't have to ride, you don't do anything because everything is taken care of for you. Right. And that was the ultimate that people wanted to be. And so then you get into the creation of pants, which were then, yes, used for riding because you had to straddle a horse, that kind of thing. And I found it really interesting because back in that ancient period, you see the emperors, they had the most fabric on their tunics. And they were always had the most diaphanous long tunics that I know I'm using diaphanous again. again. (laughs) I know she's coming back. She's got hashtag diaphanous people. Diaphanous. Diaphanous. Um, They were always wearing like the longer pieces. So... It was until, and this is from another theorist, um, uh, Scipioni Pozzoni. That's his name. I know, I just, I did it. I fucking did it. <laughs> I fucking did it. Thank you, learning opera in high school. <laughs> um, and it says, it was the evolution of tailoring from the 14th century that um, by, 
by oh god because <laughs> i'm also about to say bisexual and i was like it's not bisexual <laughs> the evolution of tailoring from the 14th century that bifurcated that bifurcated garments gradually that bifurcated garments gradually became associated with men's dress and masculinity previously both men and women wore draped and unshaped garments and tunics as men's tunics became shorter and tighter fitting in the 15th century fashionable men began to, began to wear hose or stockings as outer leg wear however the demarcation became trousers for men and skirts for women wasn't usually completely set in stone until the 19th century. Hmm. Interesting, but let's unpack that. So if you think about it, we're looking at the Renaissance, and at most of the time in the Renaissance, it was all about the men's legs. That was the men's erogenous zone. People always think about cod pieces. Cod pieces were some... Cod pieces were basically like the Jeremy Scotts of like... The Italian Renaissance. Like, if you were wearing a cod piece, you were super... It's true, though. I believe you. You were super extravagant. You're like, I got a big dick. I'm showing it off. I've come to slay all the holes. (laughs) And, like, you usually would wear something like that for something in fancy dress. Or if you wore a cod piece on a regular basis, usually you're a young man trying to show off your virility. That makes sense. But it wasn't something that everyone was wearing all the time. That wasn't unfortunately. The, unfortunately, but the thing is, that wasn't the erogenous zone. It were the men's legs. So then, the idea of the silhouette being created by red hosiery and black, which was very Spanish and very wealthy, to have something in all black, you had money, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she got money, 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 money. Um, so to wear something like that and to wear tights, that shows off your legs. It shows off the shape. Henry VIII. If you look at all the paintings of him, his legs are on like on fleek. The entire time i threw it way back just now but his legs are on display the entire time even till the last pains of him when he was super big his legs are still like a supermodel fine gams yeah the whole like those gams <laughs> so this idea of covering the men's legs started to become more fashionable which i think is very interesting but it was still tight fitting and then in the and then in the 19th century yes that's when you see the beau brummel idea of men's dress where you first where you really see the incarnation first of what we have of the suit that we have now which is a three-piece suit with full pants and so that became the standard of masculinity which i think is really interesting now i i was at you know we like briefly talked about this and like that kind of thing but one of the things i would like to jump ahead to like thinking about this context of what masculinity was like back then to now in 2019, your own experience, like we have gone on vacations, we have a group of friends, so a lot of them are like radical fairy, which is an amazing group of queer people, totally. of magical queer people that gather together and really celebrate the seasons and the changing of the seasons in power. Um, and there's a lot of gender non-conforming dress happening, a lot of gender switching in terms of dress. And so a lot of our friends are definitely people that do that. Addicted to gags. Are addicted to gags, as we are addicted to gags. So for you as a, a mass or a, a, a cis presenting man, yep. but consider yourself queer, how do you feel when putting on dresses or skirts and things like that? It's liberating in a way that I I'm not able to do that in my normal everyday life. And mm-hmm. I'd like to. Yeah. Uh, but for work, for perception, for whatever, I find that I have to fit more of a certain role or a label or a box, which is relatively unfortunate. During my regular day-to-day, I'll throw pieces in. Yeah. Uh, but having that experience, or especially with a community of people that are also into the same things, of like serving gags, giving stunts, um, 
it's freeing in a way that I'm not able to incorporate into my regular everyday life. Do you feel a sense of power when you are dressing in this non-conforming sense? In a way, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not able to put really a finger on where that power comes from, Mm -hmm. but it is something in... It's something entirely different from what I'm wearing on a normal day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Now, I would say... Do you feel like, is there a sense of masculinity or a sense of femininity when it comes to that power? Or is it both? I think it's both. I think it's really both. Um, I wish I had the ability to incorporate that more into my, into my regular kind of style fashion. I feel like I have pieces or individual moments. Yeah. But overall, I just, unfortunately, it's just, it's, it's more perception than anything. Being that I'm regularly traveling for work, I can't be showing up in a full ball gown to yeah. an event that I'm hosting. Yeah. You know? But um, you know what's really interesting, too? I'm going to interrupt you really quickly. You were talking yeah. about, and you mentioned this, again, about conforming. I want to just throw this out there and yeah, hear please. your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. What if we change, what if we really started to change that? I mean, like, That'd be great, no, girl. you're not necessarily wearing a ball gown, but it's interesting. There's a show called Gentleman Jack that was on Showtime or HBO, HBO. And it was about a woman, um, Ann Lister, in the early 18th or the early 1800s in England. She was an out and proud lesbian and wore men's clothes, but not fully. She wasn't wearing pants yet because at this point, as we just talked about, pants and skirts became specifically for men and for women. It was very enforced at that time. Socially, very enforced, and by law in some places, enforced. And so you see this, you see Ann Lister, and in a lot of her paintings, she is wearing kind of a gentleman's waistcoat under a very tailored long coat. She's wearing a cravat and a high collar, which is very masculine at the time. She has her hair curled very tight, which is, again, very masculine at the time to keep the hair curled close to the head. And she often, well, she, when she's out, is shown wearing a top hat in the movie or in the show. They showed her wearing a top hat. And then you'll see this long, very slim skirt on the bottom. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And it's interesting because if you ever see the show, the actress that plays is an amazing actress. I cannot remember her name. Um, but she really pulls off the sense of masculine power that is not threatening, but awe-inspiring. And it's not the sense of, I'm going to lord over you and rule you as a man, but the sense of she cre- she's taking the, the essences of masculinity and then bringing it into herself. That. Bringing it into herself. But, I mean, like, could you imagine a world where we actually have then subverted these, like, these um, I hope so we're headed there I just don't know if we're there yet oh I mean like I don't think we're there yet I think with any social change it takes time you know what I mean that's if if history has not taught us anything it takes time with social change for sure so people like you know like our biggest icons like Kurt Cobain for instance um Kurt Cobain um I mean super famous for you know like making the kind of dirty baby doll dress a very masculine piece for like grunge for like grunge male followers um david bowie took high high fashion glamour and turned that into something very masculine as well to a certain degree but again not that sense of like big buff rough masculinity but that essence of power and control over it's distilled it's distilled it really is um for you have you ever seen any kind of like i mean have you ever are there any icons have ever like shown you a new sense of being when it comes to your gender? Hmm, that's a good one. I've always had an obsession with Tilda Swinton, but it's also, it's looks and dress. Yes. 
Um, but you know what? The thing is about Tilda is that I don't. It's not just looks and dress. It's the whole. It's the whole package. package. It truly is the whole package. So that's another thing that I think is really interesting in the modern context about how men are wearing dresses and what is being what is being perceived as acceptable. Because again, for me, I've I, I experiment all the time with a new silhouette. I experiment. I walk on the street. I want to see what's going to happen. I want to see the reaction. Because if it's a negative reaction, I have to say, well, what, it, what is it? Is it just because literally a half an inch of a scene can make a whole world of difference. <laughs> true. It really it's can. True. A half an inch of a scene can make a whole world of difference. You know, one shade of a color can make a whole world of difference when really bridging gender norms like this. And so it's interesting for Tilda Swinton. And I think that a lot of people who really do it, do it well, is that it's all about how you carry yourself. Right. And the demeanor. Right, right. And this idea of, it's not threatening in a way of just get away from me if you don't accept me. Right. It's like, receive me. Get into this. Because if you're not, you're going to miss out. And I, I can't help you if you miss out. <laughs> like, I tried. You know, I it's get, just a performance. It is. It is. But like people like Tilda Swinton, um, there's also... Um, Oh, God, what is his name? Um, EJ Johnson. Mm-hmm. Still, I want to be friends with him. Like, still to this day. I really hope he's listening one day. And Billy Porter lately, girl. And Billy Porter. Oh, I mean, like... <laughs> we talked about Billy Porter a couple times on here, but Billy Porter is, like... I mean, it's such a big icon for me. Black, gay man, feminine gay man, who is older, who's not, like, 20 years old. Right. You know what I mean? It's not, like, an influencer. Is a person who has so much pedigree and talent and brain and like puts it out there and especially when it comes to clothes puts it out there and so it's really interesting for me because like it's always again like i said before when it comes to wearing dresses and skirts it's all i'm gonna have to switch around i'm wearing really big boots um it's all about the silhouette and it's all about the the details that make or break an outfit where it's going to be seen as powerful or it's going to be seen as negative and it's funny because like i don't know if people ever know this but look at billy porter's shoes I haven't yet. Look at his I mean, shoes. I mean, individual looks, yeah, but not as an overall look at, over. Look at the shoes. Okay. Because he doesn't, doesn't necessarily wear women's shoes. He doesn't necessarily wear women's shoes. He after, oftentimes wears, like, a men's shoe. So, like, that, that, um, the Oscars dress, that right. big, giant ball gown, he was wearing, like, a black boot under it. Oh, work. Which is, like, from... And it's interesting. Like, I would never do that. Yeah. Because if I'm going to... Cre- if I'm going to, like engulf myself in the power i'm gonna feel the entire thing and so like feeling the weightlessness of like a nice like stiletto heel along with well, the there's dress. also something about a stiletto yeah that's oh this unparalleled and yeah i mean like a stiletto is powerful i mean that's a whole other totally. episode on heels because exactly. like the history behind that i mean we got into it briefly with the creation of pants and that was also the creation of heels for Definitely. riding exactly um but yeah like people like billy porter i think it's it's really fascinating what he's doing to subvert the whole idea of men in skirts. So we're going to wrap it up. I know that was a super brief history, a super brief talk. I know class. I know there's going to be more <laughs> people, please calm down, calm down. <laughs> no photos, please. No photos, please. No, please. No pictures. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for coming to this episode, no, thank Jason. thank you. I appreciate it. I'm so it. glad I got to snap you up before we had to go back to the West Coast. I'll be back. Don't worry. I know, but I just don't want you to go back to the West Coast. <laughs> I'm just so East Coast, y'all. I really... I'm so East Coast, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm actually going to come to California. I'm planning for the uh, end of September. Oh, come to Napa. I do want to come to Napa. Okay, work. I have looks for Napa. I'm ready. I'm ready. I don't think Napa's ready. I don't, Napa's definitely not ready. Because I'm coming in, like, I have, like, four ball gown skirts that I wear. Done. We're going wine tasting. Oh, in those? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to look like Anna Karenina. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. (laughs) So I don't know if Napa's ready. They'll get ready. They'll, they better get ready. I want a horse. Let's do a horse. That might be. We might be able to work that Can out. we do a horse? Let's do a Photo shoot coming soon. Stay Ooh, tuned. You know, I know it's really sad to do it there, but it'd be so subversive. Let's do a photo shoot in some of those burned areas. Work. I'm in. Let's totally fucking do that. Let's not set anything on fire. No, I think no, it'll no, be no, really no. mad. There's already enough fires in California. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be like, uh, like, we'll try to set something for it. They'll be like, um, sir, we just put that out. <laughs> we just put that out. Okay. Like, can you just not do that? <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and my pleasure. students, please read your history, learn your history. I'm going to test you on this at some point. Um, but like every other bad teacher, I never give you a date for the actual final exam. I just send you an email the night before. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. This is the Beauty Archeo. I'm your host, Professor Noir. Thank everyone, our special guest, Jason Edward Tucker, or as I like to call him, Jet Magazine, but that's a whole other that's thing. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> we are your fashion history comedy podcast, and I will be returning next week with more delicious information. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.